0: Following is a message from Living Waters Church in Elk River, Minnesota. For more information, visit livingwatersmn.org. We are in a series right now. Um, for the summer, we're going to be looking at what we believe. We just felt like this was an important time to really focus on just some key aspects of our faith to kind of set in place and solidify some things about what we believe. When I opened the series, I talked about the importance of that given the fact that we are operating in an increasingly secular society. Whether we like that or not, that's, that's how things have kind of been trending. And I believe that there's actually something really good and amazing about that. And that is it's going to be really easy to tell the difference between dark and light. And that it gives an opportunity for light to really truly be light. And we need to solidify some of the things that we believe because there's coming a time when it's going to be a bit cross grain for us to walk in that more than we've ever experienced. And we need to know what it is that we stand on. So that's a piece of it. Another piece is that we have a a unity in the body of Christ that is a key part of how we get to fulfill the Great Commission. It's a key piece. The Scripture tells us that it's by the unity that people will know that Jesus is who he said he was. And it's important that we have that unity as the body of Christ. And we are in an increasingly divided state as the church recently. And so we want to know what it is that we're unified around as the body. What are those core things that we unify around uh, during this time when we're seeing kind of a departure from those values around us? We talked in that first week about how what we believe really is connected to our sense of belonging. What we believe is it, it's what allows us to really belong to one another. In this room, we come from all kinds of different walks of life. We have different, different jobs, different families, different nationalities, different, all of those different things. And yet, there's the things that we believe in common allows us to belong to one another, The things that we believe allows us to belong to the Father that we sang about today. It puts us in a place of being family together. And so it's important that we look at those things together. How many of you in your families, you have certain core values around certain things, right? Like whether or not ketchup belongs on a hot dog, Or whether or not relish or you know, you have these these core values of of what you believe about different things and, and how we how we celebrate things, how you know what what the most important things are. And as the family of God, we have these core things that we unify around, and it's part of how we belong both to Him and to one another. The other thing that we talked about was that what we believe inevitably shows up in our behavior. And so sometimes we can, as Christians, we can really focus on trying to modify our behavior. Okay, I'm supposed to act this way. I'm supposed to do this. And the reality is if we just stepped into real belief, that would shift everything about how we behave. It would shift everything about, I can even say over here, I believe this. But there's a lot of things that I might say I believe that the way that I act and the way I behave doesn't support that. Do I really believe that then? And so if we can come into that, that true faith in believing these things, it, it changes how we act. So it's important that we know, not just know what we believe, but I'm believing that as we look at those things, as we examine those core aspects of our faith that we're going to, to receive a deeper faith by the Spirit, that we're going to make that declaration and it's going to produce faith in us to believe those things more wholeheartedly. Last week, Pastor Bob really set in the kind of the centerpiece, the cornerstone of what we believe and that is the centrality of Jesus. I loved that he dealt with the fact that we we would classify ourselves or others would maybe as a charismatic church, sort of the you know where we walk in in part is born kind of out of the pentecostal movement. The truth is we actually in our roots we also have Lutheran roots. That's you know we there, there's a lot of places that we have come out of but we would classify ourselves as a charismatic church. And yet the reality is our focus is not Holy Spirit, our focus is Jesus in also and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And that there's that we need to have that right. It's really Jesus is the doorway to all the rest of it. Jesus is the doorway to the revelation that we're looking for today as we want to see the nature of the Father revealed and the truth of the Father revealed, Jesus is the doorway to seeing the power of the Holy Spirit move in our midst. He's he's the central focus of that. He's the central part of that. And to have that in in the right place is so important for us as we establish what we believe. I think it's interesting, it's just working out, because we didn't really plan, you know, how... How what order we're going to talk about topics. We don't even know, really, what, what topics the Lord wants to highlight as we talk about what we believe. We've just been seeking the Lord on that. Okay, hey, what, what do you want to focus on this week? So last week we focused on who Jesus is, and this week I felt like, yes, because it's Father's Day, but not just because it's Father's Day. <laughs> I wanted to focus on who the Father is and what we believe about the Father. And one of the main reasons is is because Jesus came to reveal the Father. And so when we put him in that central place, we can't help but see the Father more clearly. I think next week we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit because Jesus asked the Father to give us a gift, and the gift he gave us was the Holy Spirit. And we, obviously, we believe that God is a three-part being, we believe that he is three persons in one. We believe that there, there are three distinct aspects of who God is, but that it is one God. And one of the things, as I was kind of considering that today, is I have in the past kind of looked at it as um, the, the three distinct aspects of God are different characteristics that come through these different persons of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what I realized as I was studying is, really, they all carry the the same characteristics. It's more about how it gets presented to us. It's more about how those characteristics interact with us. The Son carries the same characteristics as God because it's all fully God. But how that interacts with us is different. The Father carries the same characteristics, but how that interacts with us is different. And the same is true of the Holy Spirit. It just shifted. It was a little shift, but it shifted how I saw that. Instead of saying, well, the Father is like this, and the Son is like this, and the Holy Spirit is like this, they're all like this, but the way that they interact with us is a little bit different in the way that they present that. So, we know that the Son, Jesus, came to reveal the Father. I want to mention, we believe that all three aspects are equally important. To be able to interact with the Father is as important as to be able to interact with our Savior, Jesus, and to be able to interact with Holy Spirit. All three are equally important. So, I think it's cool, as we... Kind of launch our we believe that we're actually going to to focus on the personhood of God. I think it's not an accident because what we believe has more to do with our connection to God as a person or as a being than it does about these, these things, this list of things that we believe. I would say that that our heart is that we would encounter who God is more than we would just know about God. And so as we talk about Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit, my heart is that that becomes the doorway to really stepping into belief, into the other things that he brings in, the concepts that he brings into our lives. I love how God is willing to interact with us in different ways so that we can really, really know him. It has been his desire from the beginning to be fully known by us. And so how amazing he is that he will present himself as father, he'll present himself as son, and he'll present himself through Holy Spirit so that we can really know him. He's good to us in that way. What's important, too, is that for me, when when I looked at the reality of all of the nature and character of God being represented in each of the three parts, it again brought to me, as we're focusing on what we believe, the Lord continually puts things in front of me that goes, you believe this. And I go, no, 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 I don't believe that. And he goes, no, you really do. You believe this, and it's not true. And one of the things that he showed me is that I've had this mentality, and I've worked through it a couple different times, this mentality that Jesus came to save us from the wrath of the Father. Does that resonate with anybody else, or am I the only one who kind of saw that concept of Jesus comes to protect us from what the Father has to do because of our sin? And as I studied the nature of the Father, both through Jesus and just in his word, we realized that's not true at all. That what Jesus did was was the idea of the Father. It was the heart of the Father to be restored and to be reconciled and to be in relationship with us. And we cannot assign to the Father a nature that doesn't match up with the nature that we see demonstrated in Jesus. So he's coming to just clean up those edges for us, those places where we've, we've mistakenly assigned things to his nature that aren't there. He didn't come to save us from the Father. He came to reveal the nature of the Father. And when at the time when Jesus came, God's people knew him as creator, they knew him as judge, they knew him as um, you know, a, someone that had moved powerfully on their behalf. But one of the things that was most offensive to the, the Jewish people at that time was Jesus referring to him as a father and interacting with him as a father. This morning, we, we during worship, we talked about the role that fathers have, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. But what I think is so interesting is we need to recognize that Jesus could have done none of what he did if he wasn't just walking as a son. That the strength for Jesus, the strength for all of, the, of him walking out the purpose of God and walking out the identity that he had on the earth all of that came from him knowing how to be a son. Do you know when he was baptized by John and the clouds parted and the voice of God spoke, this is my son and who I'm well pleased, he hadn't done anything yet. He hadn't done one miracle. People were still wondering if, I don't know if he's the guy. But the father spoke identity over him. And it brought him, it's, he stepped into that place of sonship. We know, just through the word, that the nature of the Father is seen in Jesus. In Hebrews 1:3 it says, "The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being." The exact representation of his being." There is nothing that we see in Jesus that we can't also assign to the nature of the Father. We see in John 14:7 when I think it's Philip is asking, "Show us the Father," and Jesus is going, "All I've been doing is showing you the Father. Everything I do." I'm not sure how many times Jesus said it, but he had that statement, "How long must I be with you?" He said it there. "How long must I be with you?" If you have, he says, if you have seen the, me, you've seen the Father. And so we want to come into rightly knowing the nature of the Father. When I see Jesus, I see the Father because he's the exact representation of him. It's important that we get this because we also have the role of showing the nature of the Father. How do we show something that we don't fully understand? I think that sometimes in the church we can think that people are rejecting God, people out there are rejecting God, and I think sometimes what they're rejecting is the version of him that has been presented to them. So I want to know the Father really well. Because I don't want to present a version of Him that is not true. I want to know who He is so I can represent Him really, really well. What's awesome is that that's why He sent us the Holy Spirit. So sometimes I can know what the Father looks like. I don't always walk in the way of the father but that's why he sent us the holy spirit so that we can continually be transformed more and more into a proper representation of who he is but it's important that we see him for who he is the other thing that jesus did so we we know that he he came to reveal the father But the other thing he did is he makes it possible for us to have an unhindered relationship with the Father. He makes it possible not just to go, oh, that's what the Father's like, but for us to experience who the Father is. And one of the main ways that we experience that is through identity. When Jesus restored the access and relationship to the Father, we were restored To the identity that the Father brings. And that's what I want to focus on today. Again, I just loved what the Lord did during worship because the whole, my message today really culminates to do we have our, are we getting our identity from what the Father says about us? I don't think that it would be, uh, I mean, I don't know that anyone would disagree with me that there's an identity crisis going on around us. There is, there is this, whole, this whole issue of identity. People are spinning in that right now. And what people are really asking when they're saying, I'm this, what they're really saying is, I don't know who I am. I don't know who I am. I am not connected to a father that is speaking identity to me and is telling me who I am. We can be in that place sometimes. We can be in that place where, where we're, we're saying, any, think of any area of your life that you don't particularly like the way that you're showing up. It's probably connected to, you're not really sure who you are. If you're struggling with a persistent issue of sin, it's really not about the sin, it's about you don't remember who you are. And there's two things, either we don't remember who we are or we've taken on a completely mistaken identity. We've said somebody has spoken over us, our circumstances, the ways that we've acted, and we've stepped into it and we go, oh, this is who I am. And we begin to walk in a mistaken identity. Our job as the body of Christ is to know who we are and to walk in that identity and to know who that person next to you is. (laughs) and to continually call them into their identity. This is the sad thing to me right now as it relates to fatherlessness in our nation. It's really not even so much about the fathers as it is the erosion of identity that has come against men for years and years and years. And I believe that the Lord is changing that. That we need to be ones that, that speak the truth about the importance and the roles of fathers and who they are, even when they're not looking like it. We need to say, but I know who you are. Because we desperately need them to take the role of father and speak identity to the people around them. So we want to reconnect to that today. There's a a sociological theory on identity. If you've studied sociology at all, sociology is just the science of society. It goes some weird places sometimes, but some of it's actually interesting. How how many of you know most uh, science in its pure form actually helps us to understand how God's created things? when when we're when we're seeking it in purity it's you know theology is actually the science of god you know so sociology in itself it can go some weird places but there's a there's a concept from the early 1900s about how identity is formed and it continues to be kind of the way that that they look at how identity is formed and it has to do with how, that how we view ourselves, our self-perception, our identity, like, like what we live from, that it grows out of our interpersonal relationships with others. So our identity is less about what we think about ourselves, our identity grows out of how we imagine we appear to others from the very youngest age. That's what begins to form our identity. So then we imagine how we appear to others and then we assign judgment to that appearance based on the feedback that we're getting from other people around us. I appear like this to you and that makes your face go... (laughs) That's a face my husband doesn't like. It's not a good identity face. And so that's what begins to form our sense of identity. And then we begin to walk out based on that identity. And it can create this cycle because you think this, this is how you judge that. I walk like that and now I'm perceived as that thing. It's an interesting aspect. So kind of breaking it down, identity is not created by what I think about myself but it's created by what I think the most important person in my life thinks about me. That begins to form my identity. And then whatever they think about me, I begin to live like that. This is why God says, you shall have no other gods before me. Do you know what he's really saying there? He's saying, I want to be the most important person in your life. Because I am the one who gives you identity. I want to assign that to you, and I don't want that to be assigned by anybody else. That's why it's important. Not because he just craves all the power and all the... No, because he knows how important it is that he be the most important voice in our lives. He wants to speak the truth. When that happens, when God is... The most important person in our life, and we're taking feedback from him and we're forming our identity around that, that's when we're at our healthiest. That's when we're at the place where we can really walk both in our identity and the purpose that he's given us. So he comes and he speaks identity to me, and then that becomes how I view myself, and then I live out of that place. When he's not in the most important place and I allow other things to come in and speak identity, that causes a problem in the way that I walk. And there's all kinds of things. I can be, uh, I have a really good dad. He's preaching at a different church today. But I have a really good dad. But I don't have a perfect dad. God is a perfect father. But he, he can, we can partner with that as parents As fathers, we can partner with that, but ultimately, I have to come into a place where the most important person to me is God. And then if my dad says something that lines up with what God says, I go, awesome, thank you for seeing that. Right? So we want to partner with what God says about ourselves, and we want to partner with what God says as others. As earthly fathers, and this is what, what I think partly what Luke was speaking to today, As earthly fathers, one of the most important roles you have is to reflect the Heavenly Father's heart in speaking identity to your kids. I believe that mothers can speak that, but there is something unique about the Father being able to speak identity because it it mirrors the nature of the Father and that way that He interacts with us. There is something powerful about, about your, your voice and your words and your kids' lives. In biblical times, uh, a lot of times it came through naming, right? You see in the Bible that, that someone was named something and it meant something specific and they lived from that place of identity that was spoken over them. When we named our kids, um, one of our, our younger kids, one of Brian's roles in the naming. Was to come up with all the ways that that kid would get teased if we gave them that name. They can be very, very grateful for that. I had all kinds of names that meant all kinds of really cool things. But he, he, I'd be like, okay, here's a name. You can't possibly come up with anything for this, and like instantly he'd come up with, okay, well then they're going to say this and this and they're going to a little rhymey thing and it's going to be like this, and and I go, how do you come up with this? Did you were you a bully? <laughs> or did you have a bully? I don't know. One, one of the two. But, but it's important beyond how people are going to get teased that, that names have meaning. He vetoed several names, which was probably good and, and wise. But that's because one of the main roles of fathers is to come and speak identity. The identity crisis going on in society right now is connected to fatherlessness. It's connected to not having, A, men in their lives that are speaking identity to them, but B, not being connected to the voice of the Father. And so when we see people walking out an identity, what I want to do, instead of calling that and go, oh yeah, they're this, and making t-shirts about it and putting memes on Facebook about it, I want to say, oh, I know who they really are. The church needs to be a place full of fathers that are speaking identity. Even over people that aren't acting like the identity that we know that they are. When a father is removed from the environment, we see there's all kinds of connection to all the things and to suicide, to runaways, to drug abuse. All of those things are quantified based on fatherlessness, because there's something so important about speaking identity. Here's the thing, though. We can't speak identity if we're not secure in our identity, right? For those of you that that either didn't have a father in your life or did, but but they didn't speak identity into you, probably it's because they didn't know who they were they weren't secure in their identity and i know that this can be a little sticky subject for lots of reasons it can you know because we have we have single parent homes because we grew up and maybe we have father wounds but the lord wants to come in and minister to those places and and speak identity speak new identity to places where we've come under false identity. If we don't know who we are, we can't speak that identity. And here's what I want to encourage us with. You are not defined by anything else other than by what God says about you. So what happens is when we we don't have an identity, when we're not connected to identity, we begin to attach to all these other things that create that sense of identity. Sometimes it's in what we do. Oh, okay, what I by what I do, that's how I have my identity. What I accomplish, what, what successes I have. And the truth is, you're not defined by your successes, you're not defined by your failures. It's not about what you do or what you don't do. It's defined by what God says, period. That's what defines who you are. We have got to, I can say that even now, and unless we, that bears witness in our spirit that the Holy Spirit would make that true, it, it doesn't mean anything. But the word is very clear somewhere in Romans. Let's hope we find it quick. Romans 8.16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Yes. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. I'm believing today that as we, uh, as we talk about this, as we say what we believe about the goodness of the Father and what he says about us, that it's going to bear witness with your spirit, that it bypasses all of the things in your mind that say, yeah, but that's not true about me. It's the Holy Spirit that bears witness. I believe that's what was happening during worship today. The Spirit was bearing witness with our spirit that we are enough, that we are who our Father says we are. I don't know... Who named you? And I don't even mean in in the natural. I don't know who has named you, who's put labels on you, who's identified you. Maybe it's just circumstances in your life. Maybe there's things that were spoken over you by your family. Maybe it's Satan who comes and lies to you and tells you things about who you are. But nobody has a right to name you except for God. Nobody else created you. Nobody else formed you and already knew who you would be and what your purpose would be. And this morning, I want us to allow God to name us. God alone can name you. Our Our community of faith can partner in that. Our family can partner in that. Fathers, you can partner in that, in naming your kids. But what I want for you today is that you would become really secure in how he's named you as a son. We see multiple times in the Word where God changes somebody's name isn't he good to show us these things about who he is? In Isaiah 62 too, it says, you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give you. I'm saying this morning, you will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give you. We see, and, and there's two things, there's two different things that when, when God named someone, renamed them, it either spoke to identity or purpose typically, or sometimes both. One example is in uh, Genesis, the story of uh, Jacob. How many of you remember Jacob? Jacob had a twin brother, Esau. And whatever we want to say about Esau despising his birthright, the reality is that Jacob took something that did not belong to him through deception. Sometimes we focus on how Esau despised the birthright, and I'm not sure why we do that. But Jacob took something that didn't belong to him by deception. And you know what's interesting is his name means supplanter or deceiver. Jacob, that's what that meant. Then we see later in Jacob's life that he was deceived. Imagine that. So he had a father-in-law layman. He had a father-in-law. He fell in love with one of his daughters and wanted that daughter for his wife, and he worked and worked and worked, and his father-in-law tricked him and gave him a different daughter. He was deceived. And what I love is what God does with that. He gave Jacob a new name. So we see in Genesis 32 Why don't we talk more about Jacob? He has like an amazing story. There's all kinds of things. Jacob has a ladder. There's just so many things. Okay. So Jacob in Genesis 32, let's start in 24, 32, 24. Then Jacob was left alone and a man, capital M, because it wasn't really a man, it was God, And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he, capital H, because it wasn't just a little h-he, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have wrestled with God and with man, and you have prevailed. So here God gives him, he says, I will not go unless you bless me. And how does God bless him? He gives him a new name and a new identity. No longer is he the supplanter. who his, The birthright that he had taken through deception now became rightfully his because he gave him a new name, Israel. And he became a father of a nation because God changed his name and he changed his identity. We see it's all over the place, but another example is in Matthew with how, what Jesus does with Peter, who was Simon Barjona. Matthew 16? So this is where Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And Simon answers and says, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. In verse 17 of chapter 16 of Matthew, Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So now he says, you know, what's interesting is his old name wasn't really so bad. I think Simon means something like God answers or something like that. But he needed a new name because he had a new destiny and a new purpose. He was to father the church. And so we see that God changes our name." And it gives us a different sense of identity and it gives us a sense of authority. He changed Saul's name to Paul, Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah. Not sure why they were all so close to one another, but maybe there's something in that. Maybe we're just a couple letters short of our true identity. (laughs) And now we know, yeah. The mystery of the Bible revealed. But here's what's true. When he changes our name, what comes with it is an ability and an authority to bless and name others. When he changes our name, we now come into an environment and we bring blessing and strength and identity to others. So as we close, I just want us to take a minute Fathers, you can focus on being sons. Jack Taylor, I don't know how many of you know Jack Taylor. He was the father to a lot of well-known pastors and evangelists and prophets. He passed away this year maybe, yeah, recently. And somebody had asked him, How do you handle fathering all these men of God? And he says, I don't worry about being a father. I just worry about being a really good son. So fathers, you can just think about being a really good son and stepping into the identity, into the name that God has for you. Right now, let's just take a minute. We just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. We thank you for your presence here. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being a gift of the Father that speaks truth to us. Just ask you, for for all of us, ask Holy Spirit to bring to mind a name that he wants to have you throw away today. some kind of label, an identity that you have found in something other than the most important voice in your life. Just let him bring that to mind. It might be something somebody spoke over you. It might be a way that you think about yourself And the Father comes today and he says, you are no longer called that. That is not who you are. Hmm. Just picture taking off a name tag. You know the sound they make when you rip them off your shirt? (laughs) Just take off that name tag. And we lay it down. And now we ask you, Father for a name this isn't the only name he's ever going to give you but right now what is the name that he's speaking over you Hmm. who am I father to you Who have you created me to be? Holy Spirit, I just thank you for your participation in our renaming. I pray that you would continue throughout this week to speak identity over each one of us, that you would bring to mind other places, other identities that we've picked up, other names that we've taken on, and that we would come into the reality of what the Father says about us, that we would believe in that name more than we believe in any other name that's been spoken over us, that we think of ourselves. We ask that you would make us secure in our identity, that we would no longer allow anything else to name us, Father, we ask that your voice would be the most important voice to us. For those that are fathers, we thank you for the the special anointing and the special gift on their lives to be able to speak identity to their children. We pray that it would come out of them knowing that they're sons. And then we ask, God, that they would partner with the voice of the Father, and calling forth identity. We pray that we would be a people that receives those who don't know who they are or have a case of mistaken identity, and we would speak truth to them. Would you give us the eyes and the heart of the Father? Lord, would you forgive us, well, I'll just say me, because maybe it doesn't apply to you. Would you forgive me for times when I have not spoken identity over my husband or over other men in in my life? God, we want to speak the truth of who they are. We repent for any time we've participated in eroding identity. We thank you, Lord, that you have made us to be those who call forth sons and daughters who know who they are. Mm-hmm. We thank you that you are a good, good Father, that your ways are perfect, that you love us completely. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about us, please visit livingwatersmn.org.